Turn with me, please, to 2 Chronicles 6.18. Remember, this is going to be God's Shekinah glory is going to be in that temple. God working amongst men in the nation of Israel, just as he worked in the tabernacle in the wilderness, now here in the temple. But then Solomon breaks into this, and he says in verse 18, But will God really dwell with men on earth? Behold, the heaven and heavens of heavens cannot contain thee, how much less this house which I have built. Somewhere in our minds, we we get the, the impression that God dwells in a building somewhere. I know my former religion, they had God in a box up front. Literally, they would open the box on Sunday and release God out of there, and then they would pray because that was the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And that's why most of the temples around are ornate. Why? Because that's God's house. The answer is God's house is you, not a building. And so we like to think of God dwelling in in his temple or God dwelling in heaven. We recognize no place can contain God. No place can contain him. And God has uh, his glory round about him. And right now we are representing the King of kings and Lord of lords here on earth as we walk this earth. It's Christ in you, that hope of glory, as people look around uh, at us and see Christ in us. Now, The third heaven, of course, God supersedes the earth from the third heaven, allowing his angelic beings and his saints and uh, and, and in in the world today, and he oversees the functioning of the world today. That's why our our planets don't spin off into uh, nothingness, or our our moon continues at the same pace around the earth, and we continue at the same pace around the sun. Why? Because God is controlling it all right from heaven. And God, the Godhead in heaven is shedding his glory abroad on the earth. He's showing us who he is and his purposes every day in creation. You read that in Romans chapters 1 and 2, working through his saints and in his saints. And, and God is giving mankind time to repent and to believe the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. Why? Because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, the book of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 13. God is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to the knowledge of truth. So God is waiting in glory. He so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, and he's waiting in glory for men to respond to that message of salvation, that free gift of salvation. While he sits in heaven, his will, his wisdom, his love, his grace, his comfort uh, are all in place. He's not vacant. He's not sleeping. He's not paying attention to us. He's in glory awaiting us to go and to be in his presence. However, however, the third heaven is only a temporary dwelling place of God. There will not always be a third heaven. God is going to remove himself, according to the book of Revelation, from the third heaven, and he will dwell on earth with man in what's called the New Jerusalem. So heaven is a temporary place. Just like hell, the place of hell today, hell fire, is a temporary place. One day, it will be replaced with what we know to be the lake of fire, according to the book of the Revelation. So God dwells in this temporary place called heaven, and when you and I leave this body, we go to that place called heaven to be with him. 
And one of the most discouraging things I have found in all of my study of the Scriptures is we know so very little about this place that we're going to go and be with the Lord with. There's very, very little mentioned about it in the Scriptures. We know a lot about, comparatively, we know a lot about uh, the millennial kingdom on earth. We know what that will be like. The Old Testament is just, uh, there's a plethora of information in the Old Testament. We know what the New Jerusalem will be like. We have more information on the New Jerusalem than we do on the present place called heaven, mentioned in the book of the Revelation. And the only person we can count on to tell us anything about it went to heaven, came back, and can't say anything. That's the Apostle Paul. Isn't that amazing? I heard things. I saw things unspeakable. Come on, Paul. Give us a break, will you? Let us know what went on in heaven. There are some things, for example, John had a peek into heaven. Some Old Testament individuals, Isaiah, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and seated on his throne. And the angels were around him. And we get those types of pictures, but they're, they're, they're small as compared to the, the rest of Scripture about the place heaven. Turn with me to the book of the Revelation, chapter 1. This is the apostle John speaking. You know, of course, John wrote the last letter, the last writing of God's word. We have everything we need. We have all things that pertain unto life and godliness. We have everything we need. So those people who say they're hearing from God today a message, and they're they're mistaken. They're hearing something, but it's not God. Why? Because we have all the information we need. It's seated right before us. There's no new revelation to come except when God returns to earth himself and starts speaking again. But we're in Revelation chapter 1. Start in verse 9. This is John. He's banished to the island of Patmos. Island of Patmos in the Aegean Sea between uh, Greece and uh, the mainland of uh, Asia and then further down into, of course, Jerusalem. But he's banished there. It's a penal colony. And as he's there, I want you to notice, picking up in verse uh, 9 of Revelation 1, And I, John, who am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and in in the patience of Jesus Christ, was in the Isle of Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Christ. In other words, he was sentenced there. This guy is on Alcatraz for the word of God. He spoke the word of God. He spoke about the Lord Jesus Christ and the Roman government put him in prison there on the island. Picking it up in verse 10. And I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. So he's Sunday. He's, he's Sunday morning. He's, he's uh, the Lord's day. This is not Sabbath. It's Sunday morning, resurrection day. And he's there. And uh, all of a sudden, the spirit of God is working in him. And notice what happened. He says, and I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. For those of you who are with me in my class, we're going to look at the trumpet feast, the Feast of Trumpets on Monday evening. And all throughout the scriptures, you find a trumpet, a trumpet, a trumpet, a trumpet. Why? It's all parallel with the Feast of Trumpets. We'll see that together as we move together. And what did John hear? He heard a voice, verse 11, saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. What thou seest, write in a book and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus and Smyrna, unto Pergamum, and to Thyatira, Sardis, and Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. So he hears a voice. The voice says, start writing, John. 
I don't know if you've ever tried to take dictation from someone. It's very difficult to do. Remember, John's in the Spirit, and the Spirit of God's allowing him to not only record, but to remember the things which God spoke. And notice, and I turned to see the voice that spoke unto me, and being turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and a girdle about his breast with a golden girdle. His head and his hair were white as wool and as white as snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. Verse 15, and his feet, uh, and his feet like bronze or brass, as, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice like the sound of many waters, like a waterfalls. He's getting a vision of heaven here. He's not necessarily um, caught up to the third heaven. He's getting a vision of heaven from the island of Patmos. And what does he see in verse 16? And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth there went a sharp sword, a two-edged sword, and his countenance was as as, as the sun that shines in its strength. Remember when they were on the Mount of Transfiguration, James and Peter and John, they couldn't look on the Lord Jesus Christ because he was transformed like the sun, the brightness of the sun. And notice, and, and I saw him, and I fell at his feet dead, and his hand was, upon, uh, hand was upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, for I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys to Hades and of death. And then he says something interesting to John. He says, Write the things which thou hast seen. What? This vision, the visions I'm going to give you, write those things which you have seen. And the things which are, which are presently going on to the seven churches, he'll be writing in just a few moments. And the things which shall be hereafter, knowing it's the great tribulation period. So we have the whole pattern of the end days right there before us. And notice what's interesting is John gets another vision. Head with me to chapter 4. He writes to the churches at the seven churches of Asia. You can read that for yourself, depicting the state of the church, and also the present conditions that were going on then, but also the state of the church, even as what it is today in some cases, at least point to that. Now, we're in chapter 4 and verses 1 and following, another vision, another vision of heaven. And after this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and and the first voice that I heard, as it were, as a trumpet talking with me, come here and I will show you things that must be hereafter. And you have in verses 4 and following, the throne of God and the 24 elders around the throne and, and, um, and they're clothed with white raiment. Uh, again, another vision of what's going on. Uh, the apostles of, and prophets of God seated around the throne. And then you have the living creatures in chapter 6. Uh, notice that uh, the throne was a, a sea of glass like crystal in the midst of the throne Round about the throne were the four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind these tremendous angelic beings that we, we have so, such a hard time comprehending. When I was a uh, young man, I remember these rock stars. You used to have albums, in case you don't know what that is. It was a round piece of plastic that you put on something they called a phonograph. I know this is beyond your time, most of you, but that's what it was. And um, you would play this music, but often these rock bands, these uh, acid rock guys and all that came with them, the drugs and everything, they would try to depict D 
demons and heaven and angels and things. And they tried to copy these, and they were far from, though they were creepy-looking album jackets, they were still very, very far from what the picture of God gives us. These are glorious beings. They're crying, holy, holy, holy Lord God. We have so little about heaven. And, but we know everything is pointing to God. Look at verse 11 of Revelation 4. And what are they crying out? Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are created. They are and were created. So God created everything. And you know what's interesting in the book of Colossians? Visible and invisible. Thrones, dominions, principalities, and powers. By him all things were created. So we have the living God talking about the place that he dwells called heaven. And you know what? We can dwell there with him, the scriptures tell us. It's temporary. He'll, we'll be moving, so don't unpack completely. When my wife and I go to Florida every year for a couple of weeks, I totally unpack. I'm hoping I'll be stuck here forever, you know. <laughs> one year, just one year, very quickly, one year uh, we were getting ready to go home, and I watched the news and... and, uh, and and we got a text on the phone that our flight has been canceled. There's a horrible snowstorm going on in New England, and we can't go home. Oh, <laughs> It worked out perfectly. Anyway, let's go on. Okay, now we talked about the place of heaven, the glory of the place of heaven, the person of heaven, our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who loved us and gave himself for us, who awaits us there in glory. What about the journey? The journey to heaven. The journey to heaven can come at any time for all of us. For some, it comes at a much older age, obviously. For others, it comes in from the womb. So you have from the womb and all the way to the end of days. Your time here on earth is measured. It's not measured by you. It's measured by God. To everything, there's a season. There is a time to be born, and there is a time to die. Now, we, you and I, we can somewhat help the quality of life, you know, by, by ge- being somewhat careful about our dietary habits and trying to put, uh, you know, a little bit of physical exercise into the program. But we can somewhat help the quality of life. That, that can't happen. Even that's limited, though. If God gives you something, then that's what you have, and that won't help your quality no matter what you do. But the quantity of life, you can't stop. Someone says, oh, yes, I can. I can take my own life. That's when God wanted you to die. That's the day God wanted you to die. That doesn't mean he's pleased with that, but to everything there's a season. God says, I take life, and I give life, and no one can do anything other than that. So God is the one sovereign in control of our journey to heaven. When it is, for all of us, we do not know that. My wife and I have some, at, at least one baby in heaven. We never got to meet it. He died before he was born. Or she died before they were born. They're in heaven, though. And you know what's interesting? is Because we, we work on time here on earth. We, oh, they died before their time. Oh, they never had a, a chance to. There's no time in heaven. Those people are in heaven just enjoying the glory and wonder of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're there in his presence in full joy. 
And it's only a, a matter of the twinkling of an eye when we'll be with them, according to them. Here on earth, we measure time, and sometimes time can be our enemy, sometimes it can be our friend, but most of all, we measure time where God says, you're absent from the body and present with the Lord. It happens that quick. It just happens that quick. So we want to talk about the journey to the kingdom of heaven together. Again, there's so much on this. Please just bear with me, and you can study this out for yourself. First of all, a payment must be paid for passage to heaven. A payment must be paid. You know what's interesting? You can't pay it. It had to be paid for you, and it was by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. For you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold from your vain manner of life, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ. God says in his word and through his word that he paid the price for your sin. He opened the gates of heaven. You couldn't do it. You couldn't do it. Why? Because you are in sin, the scriptures tell us. But he did it because he's the perfect one. He was the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Our problem is, and my problem is, and I'm sure that you have a similar problem to this, is we're in this body and we kind of like it here. I do at least. I love being with my wife. Uh, I love my family. There's more of a separation all the time now because you, you know, your family grows and they get married and they do things and then they, their kids and all that stuff. But uh, I, I still love to be around my family. I enjoy it all. I love it all. So we kind of we think about uh, this body. But the Bible says that you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven with the present body that you have. It has to be changed. It has to be glorified. And so in 1 Corinthians uh, 15 and verse 50, we read this. This I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. There's got to be a change. There's got to be a change. You know, it's interesting. Paul says in the book of 1 Corinthians 15, and you can check this out for yourself a little later on. He says, the body is sown in corruption. It's raised in incorruption. It's sown in dishonor, it's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness, it's raised in power. It's sown a natural body, it's raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, uh, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. So we're talking about the change of this body and the journey to glory. Uh, Paul told us in 1 Corinthians 15, again, in verse 22, in Adam, all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. So we, we, we see there's going to be a change of this body. Well, right from the womb, the, the body begins its process of, of, uh, of an earthly life. But Paul and Peter and James and John, they all talk about this body as being just an earthen vessel. It's going to be changed. I'm so glad, aren't you? I have all kinds of replacement pots, all kinds of them. And uh, when I get to the airport, I tell these TSA people, 
Excuse me, sir. Yes. Wants me to move along. I have some information for you. I have a lot of metal parts in myself, you know. Oh, come on, you know. And I walk through the thing, and bells and whistles go off. Dogs bark. Babies cry. Uh, I have all these metal parts in me, and I just added another one this year. This is interesting. I might have to drive to Florida all the time. <laughs> but this body grows weak. God's word tells us that. We... we we read in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27, it is appointed unto man once to die. Why? Because the body's going to grow weak. With age, uh, with disease, in some cases, uh, martyrdom. Some of our brothers and sisters in Christ, Apostle Paul, for example. It's appointed unto men once to die, but after this, there's a judgment. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 and 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, in the great translation of the saints, the great translation of the saints, we call it the rapture of the saints, that we'll be caught up together, but both we who are alive and remain, our bodies will be changed, and those that are engraved, their body is going to be reconstituted with a glorified body. Can you imagine the noise in this place if the rapture took place on a Sunday morning? I'm my... Two knees are going to drop right off. Metal. Get out of the way. You know, uh, a new hip. Some of you also have new, new body parts, metal body parts. Those aren't going to heaven, folks. Those are staying right where they are. What a thunderous noise it's going to be when body parts fall <laughs> off. If you're going to be here, duck. Get under the pew because there's a lot of false teeth around this place. <laughs> Let's go on a little further. I'm sorry. Peter, Paul said, this body is only an earthen vessel. Paul, Peter said this, the Lord told me, he said in 2 Peter 1, that shortly I must put off this tabernacle, this temporary body. He recognized that we're going to put off this body. Everyone, everyone without exception, without exception, is going to put off this body. We need to recognize that. For those of us who know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, for those of us who believe the word of God, Paul tells us, will be absent from the body and present with the Lord. That is, when your spirit leaves your body, it's just like our Lord Jesus Christ who suffered on Calvary's cross for our sin. And then if you compare all the Gospels, it says, he said to the Holy Spirit, you can go now. And the spirit left his body, and the man Jesus died on Calvary's cross. The spirit left his body. So James tells us that one day we will close our eyes for the last time on this earth. And the Bible tells us that as the body without the spirit is dead, once the real you, the one behind the eyes, once that person leaves the body, then that body now goes back to corruption. The scriptures are very plain about that. What's it like? Well, we do not know that. I've been present on, on um, almost a dozen times when uh, believers have gone home to be with the Lord in my presence, and it, it's, it's, uh, it's a glorious time for them. Why? Because they open their eyes in glory. They open their eyes right in the presence of God. It's interesting because you read in the book of Luke in chapter 16 uh, as uh, Luke is talking about the rich man and Lazarus, and this being an Old Testament concept, but when, when Lazarus opened his eyes, angels escorted him to Abraham's bosom. 
I have no doubt, no doubt in my mind, but when I close my eyes for the last time on earth and open them, there'll be two angelic beings saying, come on, it's time to go right into the presence of God. What a wonderful, wonderful thought. The other side of that, though, is the rich man who rejected God's word opened his eyes in hell and being in torment in a flame. See, you will pay the price of your sin or you will allow the Lord Jesus Christ to do that. Someone's paying. Someone's paying. And so as we, as we who believe have trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, we, we recognize that this time on earth is short. It's brief in comparison with eternity. So what, is the, what does Paul say about that in Peter and James? And we could go on and on. Uh, verses like this. Whether we live... We live unto the Lord. Whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. That's assurance, folks, right there. That's Some people say, I think I can lose my salvation. You go ahead. I'm assured. God's word says very plainly. Whether we live, we live unto the Lord. Whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. King David said, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because thou art with me. What a statement. Thank the Lord for that. Paul says this, the Lord Jesus Christ who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Isn't that great? What a wonderful statement. In Romans chapter 6, if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Just imagine that. I won't have to take an aspirin every day. Big money savings right there. I won't have to ever go to CVS again. Can you imagine that? And argue with them about a copay. Well, again, what's the process? God says that I will be present with him forever in glory. But why is that? It's because of him. It's not because of me. All my works are as filthy rags before him. I can't earn heaven. I don't deserve heaven. How do I get to heaven? By believing. It's the gift of God. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. He paid the price of my sin there in glory. What's so interesting about the, all these passages is Paul says in the very end of his life, one more passage, please, and we'll go to our communion service, but turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. What about you and I? Well, the Lord tells you and I to prepare. Prepare for what? Prepare from the time when we're going to meet him. Well, how do I do that? Well, if you're a man, of course, you want to make sure your house is in order. You want to make sure that... Uh, what, what you leave and who you leave will be at least uh, administered to uh, as much as possible. You want to do that. I want to do that for sure. There's only so much we can do, and we do what we can. But it's more than physical. It's preparing myself spiritually to go into his presence. Paul, 2 Timothy 4, you know this. Paul is going to die. He recognizes that. He's in uh, the Mamertine prison in Rome. He's preparing for death. His friends have left him. It's kind of interesting. You read this. It's a sad account. Is it really sad, though? No, because Paul says, I'm going with the Lord. I'm going with the Lord. Though all men forsake me, God has not forsaken me. 
and he recognized that. Let's pick it up, please, in verse, uh, uh, let's look at verse 5. But watch thou, in, and, uh, watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. First of all, watch, be alert, endure. What's endurance? Endurance is people, places, and my body. I have to endure. Why? Because I know one day God's going to change it all. Going to change it all. This corruption will put on incorruption. I'll, I'll be from a, a place where, uh, where sin is dwelling to a place where God is dwelling. It's all going to change. So I need to endure afflictions. Verse 6. For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. Paul considers it a departure. I'm leaving this body. I'm going to be absent from the body. I'm going to be present with the Lord. But notice what he says. I am now ready. He was ready to go. And you know, that goes for all of us. Are you ready? Not are you going, you are. But are you ready to go? Are you ready to be absent from your body and present with the Lord? Well, I'll tell you what, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, you're not. You're just not. And if you do, then you should be ready. You should be ready. You should be prepared. How am I going to be prepared for that? Paul says in verse 7, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. That's how you get ready. But by fighting a good fight, by finishing your course, by keeping the faith. See, though we're in this world, we're not part of this world. And though we enjoy life, we're not to consume life. We're to be prepared all the time to depart and be with the Lord. Listen, folks, I don't want to be dramatic about this. Some of you might not make it home tonight, today. Why? Because we don't know the day. We don't know the day. We don't know the time. We're, we're waiting on the Lord. And, and though, you know, some people have miraculous recoveries, and we're thankful for that, and we pray for the health of people, we, we do all that, but we, we don't know when God is prepared to take us. It's my job, though, to be ready for when he does. Fighting a good fight as a soldier of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me ask you this. Have you fought a good fight or have you capitulated to the world system? If you embrace the world and all that in it is, then that's not a good fight. A good soldier, Paul tells us, tells Timothy, he separates himself from those things. You know what's interesting? Verse 8, henceforth, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the righteous judge shall give me at that day, and not me only. So we're not talking about hierarchy of, of blessings here, but all those who love the appearing, his appearing, the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's those who look forward to his taking us home to be with him or coming to get us one way or the other. And so this morning, we're talking about the passage that was paid. That's why we're here. The Lord Jesus Christ, God himself, very God, co-equal, co-existent with the Father, came to earth and died in my place for sin that I could not pay for. And as he did that, he gave himself, he gave him his body and his blood, which was shed for us. He was the Lamb of God. Again, for the sake of time, I won't have you turn to Corinthians, but you know the passage as well. Paul received information from the Lord concerning the Lord's table. And he let the Corinthians know, the Corinthian church, and he let them know that, listen, folks, you're not ready to receive this communion. Why? Because you're defiling the Lord's table. But Paul also lets us know, John lets us know, 
Peter lets us know that we need to confess our sin. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God has a plan, a wonderful plan. It's not a wonderful plan for your life necessarily, but it's a wonderful plan that he has brought to pass, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Because in this body, we're going to experience all kinds of things, but God has a plan for us beyond this body. And for those of us who know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, we want to make sure that we're fighting a good fight, that we're we're honoring the Lord with our life. We're doing what we can do to give him the glory. We're not consumed with the world, but we're we're living above that standard of the world. Why? Because the standard of the world is folly with God. And so as we partake together in this communion service, we need to remember it's he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. What a glorious statement. What a glorious time it will be. So just in this brief, brief study, and I know some of you may study a lot more than this, and I really appreciate that. I've, I have so many notes and verses that I could not share with you uh, because of time's sake. But as we participate in this meal, that's he's the one who purchased the place in heaven for us. And one day, one day, we will see him perhaps very soon. Our Father, we thank you that we can be together. We thank you, Father, for your great gift of salvation. The Lord Jesus Christ, the only one who is the prize, the only one who is the lamb, the unspeakable gift of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No man can enter into the kingdom of heaven. No man can come to the Father but by him. And so, Father, this morning we come before you. I ask, Father, for any believer in here this morning that as they think to participate in this service, that they would first cleanse their heart before you, that they would confess their sin because you are faithful and just to forgive them their sins and to cleanse them from all unrighteousness. And anyone here this morning, Lord, who does not know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, that they would consider that one day passage from this life is imminent and that they might recognize, Lord, to have eternal life in glory with you has to do with believing on the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. We pray and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.